about it. First of all, uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, just to remind us of uh, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now there are two other passages that are printed in your bulletin. I'll read those as well. Luke 6, 35, the words of Christ. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And then Ephesians 4, 32, here are these words from Paul. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Lord, these are high and lofty uh, words and commands. There is a simplicity, a childlike simplicity to them, but oh, oh Lord, the depth of the call that you have set before us. Give, great God in heaven, that which you command. It is not within us in and of ourselves, but it is a fruit of your spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a few weeks ago, my sermon title was Love is Patient, and this week's title is Love is Kind, both of which are, of course, taken from 1 Corinthians 13, where we have the phrase that is so familiar to us, love is patient and kind. What that means is this, unkindness is unloving. Being unkind to others is a failure of love because love is kind. And if God is love, then it follows necessarily that God is kind. And that's what we see in scripture. Now, there are a lot of words that are very similar in meaning to the word kind that are used throughout scripture, uh, good, uh, merciful, uh, gracious, and uh, loving kindness. These are all words that are very similar to in the family of kindness. And we see this scattered throughout scripture, this idea of the fact that God is kind. And we can say this then, if kindness is in fact a quality of the character of God, an attribute of God, then it should be to us, I think, unsurprising that the Holy Spirit, who is dwelling in us and renewing us after the image of God, conforming us more and more to Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit should be at work to produce kindness in us, to make us, very simply, kinder as people. Now, what I just said there in this uh, introduction to the sermon was nearly verbatim uh, with respect to what I said about patience. And it was intentionally so because these things are so closely related together as fruit that the Spirit gives us. And I want to follow kind of the same structure that we did with patience as well and, and ask then some questions, namely, what is kindness? What exactly are we talking about? It's a word that has a variety of meanings. Uh, in in our day. Why do we need it? 
And and then third, how do we go about growing it? Okay, if it's a if it's a good thing, if it's a fruit of the spirit, how do we go about increasing kindness? What then is kindness? We ask some questions because the word is used this way, uh, commonly speaking. Is kindness just being nice all the time, never really saying? Uh, anything that's hard to people and never saying anything that's really difficult to people. Just being a nice kind of person is, is, is kindness something that we employ, something that we use, when in reality what we're trying to do with kindness is to get something for ourselves. Now, we know the phrase, nice guys finish last, but Sometimes you can catch more flies with honey, and so kindness can have a mercenary kind of aspect to it. Think, for example, of a brother who is starving after a long time out in the fields, and he comes home to his other brother who has a lot of food available. In fact, a lovely red stew, a lovely red porridge, and, and my brother starving. I am your brother. I am glad to give you some of this stew. I'm a kind guy after all. And by the way, I would like a birthright for some of this porridge, for some of the stew. Jacob and Esau, of course, is, is kindness just kind of a, a general life appeasement strategy? Is being kind just an easy way to get through an effort to stay in good graces with other people, to stay out of trouble, to stay out of the line of fire, just being nice. Well, that's not quite it, biblically speaking. Uh, I want to use Jerry Bridges this morning. Some of you have read a number of books by uh, Jerry Bridges, and he provides this definition with kind of kindness to get us started in this morning. Kindness he says, is a sincere desire for the happiness of others. A sincere desire for the happiness of others. In that respect, kindness is an inner disposition. And he draws this, I think, from Jonathan Edwards, who defines kindness, Edwards that is, Edwards defines kindness as the desire for or the delight in the good of another. And, and Edwards goes so far as to say this, this desire for the good of another or the delight in the good of another, Edwards goes so far as to say it is the main thing in Christian love. What makes Christian love love is this kind of kindness. And that really raises the bar. You know, we might be tempted to kind of put kindness off as you know there are other there are other virtues that are more significant than that but if in fact if in fact it's the main thing of christian love well that that's significant edwards uh thinks about kindness with respect to benevolence okay taking the root of that word benevolence good will expressed towards others and then both edwards and bridges note Kindness is the, the disposition, the internal thing, the disposition freely, not constrained and not looking to get something, freely to do good. The disposition freely to do good. That's kindness. Goodness is the result. Goodness is what flows from a heart of kindness. Goodness then is the activity that is designed to advance someone's welfare or happiness. So if you, if you want to look at it again, 
Uh, kindness would be benevolence, goodwill, that which resides inside of us. And goodness would be beneficence, the, the good doing of something. The larger catechism appreciates this distinction as well, particularly as it reflects upon the 10th commandment. We've got nine commandments given to us by God that on the face of them at least are very practical. They're very visible. You can see whether someone is doing them or not. You can see whether someone's bowing down to an idol. You can see if someone is stealing, if someone is murdering, committing adultery, uh, etc., lying. Those are very visible things. But the 10th commandment comes in and makes it clear that it in and of itself, the 10th commandment, and all of the other commandments are not merely concerned with an external application only of that commandment, but instead are matters of the heart as well. The commandment, of course, is thou shalt not covet. And that requires, according to the larger catechism, a charitable frame of the whole soul toward our neighbor. The requirement of thou shalt not covet is a charitable frame of the whole soul toward our neighbor. And, and it continues, as all that our inward motions and affections touching him tend unto, and further, all the good which is his. Now that's pretty extraordinary in terms of its definition. Kindness looks for the good of our neighbor, not just in some little easy external way, but with all of our souls to be directed towards that. And perhaps then with this kind of understanding of kindness, the, the next question begins to answer itself. Uh, you know, why do we need kindness or why do we need to be kind? The answer to that is because it's so deeply expressive of who God is. And because it is so deeply essential in the fulfillment of the two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor. It is the kindness of God. Think about this for a moment. It is the kindness of God that is part and parcel of his love that is behind our redemption, that pushes our redemption forward, that propels our salvation. This part of the character of who God is, is what brings it forward. That's what Jonah is worried about. Of course, Jonah was worried about this before anything took place in Nineveh. Why? Because he knew that God was like that. He knew that part of the character of God was being kind towards those who don't deserve it. Uh, the promise of forgiveness today illustrates this as well. Titus 3, I'm just going to reread for us verse 4 of that. Listen to it. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. There's almost a sequencing that's kind of buried in that. The goodness and loving kindness of our God appear, and as a result, then, he saves us through the work that Jesus does on our behalf. And it, it might be interesting here, the word goodness that's used here is actually the word that's typically translated kindness. So when the kindness of God appeared, and the word that is translated here as the loving kindness, 
is actually, and I'll just say the, the Greek because you'll recognize it, uh, the philanthropia, the philanthropy, the love of humanity that is possessed by God is what pushes him towards the redeeming act to save his people. It is this kindness, this love of God then that drives our redemption, redemption that paves the way for us to be saved, that in fact moves us to repent. Paul says in Romans, he says, do you not know that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance? The kindness of God isn't meant to lead you to take advantage of the kindness of God. The kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. This is the fatherly love of God, the, the embrace of the prodigal, the love of God that leads him to send the son to die to forgive and allows him with open arms to embrace us as children as we return to him. And, and what's then, if you will, grace upon grace, doubly extraordinary, is what we read from Jesus in Luke chapter 6. Namely, that, it, that this kindness of God doesn't only extend to his redeemed children, but it extends beyond that as well to those who are described as ungrateful and evil. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. The kindness of God then leads not only to redemptive grace, but the kindness of God is what leads to this common grace that the world experiences as well. So, so if we ask, why then do we need to be kind? The answer becomes because such unspeakingly lavish and costly kindness has been poured all over us. Over us. We didn't deserve a drop of the kindness of God, and yet what we have received is an inexhaustible fountain. That's what Paul continues in Titus, the washing of regeneration, the Holy Spirit who's been poured out upon us. So being kind, showing kindness, showing kindness is showing that we are part of the family of the household of God. We're sons in the Son as we show kindness to others as we abide in him, and then this fruit is born in our lives. Edward says, think about it this way. Why is kindness so important? Think about what an honor it is for us. An honor it is for us, we who have been the beneficiaries of the benevolence and the beneficence of God Almighty, that we should become the benevolent benefactors, the benevolent benefactors, the, the goodwill ones who were able to give this kindness to others because we've received so much of it ourselves. Think of the parables of Jesus that teach exactly this lesson as well. Or, or to say it in other ways, in a little bit of biblical ease, and I say it only this way because we're familiar with hearing this way, we've been blessed to be a blessing. We've received incredible kindness, and now we are able to become distributors of kindness. 
we're able to imitate God, and thus we have the command, be kind to one another, and yes, even be kind to the ungrateful and the evil as well. All right, so we come then to the, the big question, how, how do you grow in the disposition of kindness? What kind of things can you do? Well, let me just suggest four real quickly. One, one, we have to, in order to grow in this, meditate regularly on the kindness that has been shown to us while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies, while we were sons and daughters of disobedience. And now the kindness that has been shown to us is the command to abide in my love, to, to inhabit the love, the kindness of God our Father, of Jesus Christ, and to have the Spirit working it into our lives. It, there's no substitute for just reflecting on that and thinking about that and thanking the Lord for that. It's going to result in kindness coming out from inside of us. The second uh, way that I think we can grow in this, and this might sound counterintuitive to what I just said, but work with me here for a moment. We practice the act and pray for the disposition. Practice the act and pray for the disposition. It would be nice, would it not? if uh, everything flowed in the order that it was supposed to. So, you know, if it, if it flowed, if kindness was in us and then that flowed out into good works, goodness, good things that come out of our lives, that would be great. But the reality is, we all know, it doesn't always happen like that. And sometimes, here's the reality, in the doing is the forming. In the doing is the forming. Now, we don't ever want to be content with just doing things that look kind when we're not kind in our hearts. There's a hypocrisy attached to that. But in a doing that acknowledges, Lord, forgive me for the grumbling spirit that I've got inside and renew me and create kindness in me, in that then is something valuable. Something valuable. Now, listen, don't be surprised, right? Don't be surprised. We are not naturally kind. The, the way the world speaks of kindness, you would think that kindness is just an easy little thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do. None of us are that way in and of ourselves any more than any of us in and of ourselves are naturally good. We're naturally selfish. We're naturally looking to our own interests and not to the welfare, to the happiness of others. It will be an uphill battle for us, but sometimes it helps. Practice the act as you pray for the disposition. Number three, teach your children well. Proverbs 31, the teaching of kindness is on our tongue. Teach your children to be kind to one another. Anybody who's had one kid, taught one kid, seen one kid, knows that kindness doesn't come naturally. The children need to be taught that. They need to be shown that. They need to be shown that by parents who know how to say thank you to a clerk who checks them out or to be gracious to the waiter or waitress that is helping them in the store, to be kind to the elderly, to say a good word to the young. Those are all simple things that Bridges talks about. Teach your children 
to be kind to one another and to the things that are around them. Not just to one another, but to the things that are around them, the things in this world. You can think of a Toy Story example here. Teach them to be kind to their toys. Teach them to be kind towards animals, to be kind towards their pets, not to practice wanton cruelty. <laughs> the, the, the call to worship Describe God saying, man and beast, you save, O Lord. Teach them to be kind. I've said this before. I love to say it again. The last word in Jonah chapter four that I read is remarkably cattle. There's lots of cattle in Nineveh. Teach them not only to be kind to animals, but to creation as well. If you're taking a walk in the woods, and certainly if you're taking a walk in your neighborhood, and your boy grabs a stick and starts whacking at the branches of the tree just to knock them off, this is what I did when I was a kid, you might, you might just put a hand on the shoulder and say, son, son, think about what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. Listen, there's plenty of stuff that's on the ground that you can whack, you can kick, you can throw. But, but wanton destruction, destruction without any purpose, that's unkind. And it's not the way God takes care of his creation. You may find those things to be unusual in a description of how do you teach your kids. Look at Psalm 104. They all flow from what God does, the way God cares for his creation, the way God cares for the animals, the way God cares for the trees, for the mountains, for the earth. That's all part of his kindness. Teach them to be kind. And the next time you see Nate, I've probably talked about this before. I know he has. Ask him. Ask him, what did, what did your dad say to you most times before you walked out the door to school? Ask him what the phrase was. Number four, hold on to a vision of kindness. I, I, I'm going to ask you to use your imaginations here as we round this out. Use your imaginations. Can you imagine a, a kingdom where kindness reigns? That, that kingdom will come. But let's, let's take it on a smaller level. Can you, can you imagine a community that is characterized by kindness? Your family characterized by kindness. Can you, can you imagine your church, your neighborhood, the, the neighbors right around you, characterized by kindness? Can you hold on to an image, a vision of what that would look like? Because it may fuel you even when the command doesn't even when you struggle with the command. And as I close, I'm going to give you an example of such a community. Last week, when I was talking about uh, the, the Lord bearing fruit through our abiding, I gave an example of the abundance of harvest in Scripture. And I used as an image Ruth going out to glean in the fields of Boaz and coming home with her arms full because of this fruitful man and his fruitful life of abiding that then overflows to others. Well, here's the response. Here's the response from Naomi when she learns that Ruth was gleaning in Boaz's field. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said also to her, that man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. What was on display in Boaz's life was his kindness. 
his kindness, his steadfast love and faithfulness to his Lord and to those who were part of his family, extended family and community. Boaz was a benefactor, Ruth and Naomi beneficiaries of his benevolence. Now, one chapter next. One chapter next, and we read this from Boaz to Ruth. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made the last kindness greater than the first in that you've not gone after the young men, whether poor or rich. Look at what happened. The beneficiary, Ruth, has become the benefactor. And the benefactor, Boaz, has become the beneficiary, the recipient of kindness, because that's the way it works. That's the way it works in God's kingdom. It's, it's a community of kindness, acting it out, being kind to one another, and oh, it is glorious and beautiful and joyous. Can you hold that vision in front of you? The kindness of the everlasting king and his kingdom will come. It'll come, and we will enjoy it and delight in it for all eternity. But as we have seen, the reality is it has broken into this world. The spirit has extended that into this world as the sun came into this world. And so now, and so now, put on kindness. Put on kindness and be kind to one another. Lord, help us. Help us. You know how often we fail at this in our hearts probably in our hearts, certainly more in our hearts than in our words or in, even in our actions. Transform our hearts and grow kindness in us. Make us to be a kinder people because of abiding in you, Jesus, and spirit because of your fruit being born in our lives. Amen.